0: Well, good morning, everybody. Uh, Before we begin, why don't we pray together? Father God, thank you for this uh, time that we have together. Thank you for uh, all the incredible things that you do in our lives and the the many, many reasons that we have to be grateful. Uh, I pray, Father, as we Move into this final week of our series as we explore what your word has to say for us today. I just pray that we would be receptive. Uh, every one of us would have hearts that are soft, ears that are open to what your spirit has to say. I pray that I would just dis- disappear, get out of the way, and that your spirit would remain so that we can hear your voice and be changed, be different than we were when we came in here. So, Father, would you do all that? We are listening. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Well, for the last several weeks, uh, all month really, we've been talking about the concept of generosity in Scripture. Generosity. Now, as we've seen, the Bible presents a pretty provocative, although pretty unified idea from start to finish about generosity and how it works. It kind of shows up over and over again, and it, it goes like this. In some way, in some way, our generosity or lack thereof is directly tied to the quality of our lives, right? The way that we give or don't is tied to the quality or lack of quality of our lives. Put simply, the Bible tells us again and again, God blesses us when we give. God blesses us. Now, if you've been around the church for a while, that's probably a bit uncomfortable to hear. It is for me. It's uncomfortable to say because of how often that concept has been let's just say misused or abused in the church. Like you can picture like televangelists, you know, back in the 90s or 80s or whatever, saying, if you give me your money and so I can buy a nice new private jet or whatever, God's going to make you rich. Like He's going to bless you. He's going to multiply. And so I I get a little uncomfortable talking about this because, because there's all this baggage associated with it. But I hope by now, if you've been listening through this this series, that you would recognize that 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 concept of blessing is not at all what we have in mind when we're talking about it. Uh, Here at Grace, when we're talking about generosity and this concept of God blessing us when we give, it's very different. Frankly, it has nothing to do with personal enrichment. What it has to do with is a world transformed, a world transformed. And so... What I want to do before we conclude this series, as, as we're getting ready to conclude, is I just want to revisit the, the grand narrative of, of, of what God is doing to transform this world and how generosity plays a part of it. So if you'll allow me, I just want to, I want to remind us all of, of what we've been looking at all month because I think it's really important and it all comes to fruition in a really powerful way. So it all starts, okay? It all starts, this concept of God blessing begins with the people of israel the nation of israel and specifically with the law of moses or the torah the first five books of the bible Uh, the the torah the the law from the very beginning was designed to set israel apart Uh, there's a kind of a christiany word or or scriptural word, word called being holy being set apart and that's what that means israel was meant to be different from all the other nations on the earth. They were meant to be set apart. They were meant to stand out. um, and, And they were, through that, standing out, were going to be the way that God was going to heal the rest of the world, bless the rest of humanity. So one of the ways that they were to be set apart is that Israel was supposed to be radically generous. And if you look at the law, I mean, I'm telling you, it's radical. They had to give 10% of all of their harvests every year directly to God. They had to give it to the temple, right? That 10% of everything they grew. Uh, they also had to set a huge amount of their crops aside and keep them in their towns to make sure that anybody who was poor or who was, didn't have land, any refugees and orphans and widows, that they would all be provided for and cared for. Uh, the Israelites had to do things like leaving the edges of their fields unharvested so those who didn't have land would be able to harvest something and be able to feed their families, right? So all of these things, they were, they were supposed to have these big harvest parties where everybody brought a bunch of stuff to, to celebrate what God had done. It's a lot of giving, right? They, it was radical generosity. And, and overall, they were meant to be uh, creating a society where there was no need. Where everybody's needs were met. You could put it this way. Poverty was essentially illegal in, in the law of Moses. Okay? Poverty is illegal. And and with all this generosity, the promise was this. If the Israelites were to trust God, instead of trusting in their own self-sufficiency, you know, worrying about their own stuff, if they were just to trust God and and give freely out of the wealth that they had, if they became a nation of generosity, a nation of open palms and open-handedness, God would bless them. And what that means, what that meant for Israel, was that God would be present with them. God would be present. Uh, God's presence then would give them life, would give them health, would give them, uh, you know, peace. They wouldn't have enemy nations invading them because God was with them. God would even make their harvests more abundant. And so they'd have even more that they could be generous with. And that's when something really cool clicks into place, or is supposed to click into place. Because when the Israelites are giving freely of what they have, God blesses them, gives them more to be generous with. They give that away, which then they get blessed even more. They have more to give. You see what's happening? It's this, what I call, the positive feedback loop of blessing. That was the promise. Trust me, and I will bless you, God says. That's what God promised Israel. Now, why would God promise this? Why would he make this promise to Israel? Was it just because he really liked them a lot? Uh, No, that that wasn't it. I mean, he did like them, obviously. Why else would he stick with them after as many times as they messed up for him? But, But he obviously liked it. But that wasn't why he made this promise. No, he made this promise because God had a vision. God had a vision of the Israelites showing the rest of humanity What's possible? Again, they were set apart. They were supposed to be different to show the rest of the world what's possible. Think about it. In a world that is caught in cycles of poverty and violence and greed and abuse, Israel was to be set apart. They were supposed to be different from the rest. Again, Israel was to be a nation of open palms, a nation of generosity, of generous hearts. They were supposed to show the world what it looks like to live squarely within the blessing of God. They would shine, shine out with a message to the world that there is another way to live. There's another way to live. That was God's vision for Israel. Try it, God told them in in Malachi. We looked at this last week. He said, try it. Put me to the test. Give, give freely, and I will pour out a blessing so great that you won't have enough room to take it in. The nations will call you blessed. In other words, the world is going to want some of what you have. They are going to sit up and they are going to take notice. And that is how, through you, Israel, that is how I am going to bless them as well. That's how I'm going to heal this world, through you being set apart. So that was the vision. That was the the dream. A generous nation set apart from the rest that would lead the way to the healing of our world. There's one big problem, though, is that Israel failed at this. Big time. They failed. They did not fulfill this vision. In fact, the allure of greed, of wealth, of, of self-sufficiency was just too powerful for them. It over, overcame them. They did not, at the end of the day, they did not trust God to provide for them. They trusted in themselves. They thought they would be able to, to manage it. They could take care of their own needs and they failed. And over time, pretty quickly actually, but over time they allowed injustice and violence, and and selfishness, and greed to creep in and define their nation. Remember, poverty is supposed to be illegal in, in Israel, and yet it became commonplace. Poverty was all over the place. The dream, the vision, seemed to have died, seemed to have been lost, because Israel failed. Until, until Jesus entered the picture. Jesus, the Son of God, who picked back up the Porch of this vision. He, he spoke to his followers and he said, Look, this dream of a generous nation is not dead, it's reborn in you, in you, my followers. He said things like this. That's why I tell you not to worry about everyday life, whether you have enough food or drink or enough clothes to wear. No, your heavenly Father already knows all your needs. Seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously. In other words, live in line with God's intentions and he will give you everything you need. He will bless you. Store your treasures in heaven, not on earth, Jesus says. Invest in the things that God cares about. In other words, be generous. Be generous and you will be blessed. Not blessed for your own well-being or riches or success, but so that you, my followers, the light of the world can show the rest of humanity that there is another way to live. This vision of a generous nation, no, it's not dead. It's still alive. And I want you, I want you with open palms and generous hearts to show the world what's possible. I mean, Jesus talked about generosity in ways that... that. Frankly, they seem absurd. They seem extreme. He told one guy to sell everything you have and give to the poor and then follow me. I mean, it's extreme stuff until you realize that he is just teaching specifically within this vision, this dream that had come long before. Jesus was just bringing it to fruition, bringing it to completion. Jesus was talking about uh, this vision of a people so blessed, so so different, so unique, that so radical in their generosity that the rest of the world couldn't help but take notice. So that's what we've talked about this month. It's a lot, right? There's a lot of concepts. We've been digging in pretty deeply, but that's the the grand narrative that we've been following. And I think it's beautiful. I think it's profound. Frankly, I've been moved just to see how much these themes keep coming up and again and again in Scripture. It's been great, but there's a big question here at this point. A really important question. This is what I want us to talk about today. Are things really any different this time around? Are things really different this time around? I mean, just like Israel, just like Israel, followers of Jesus, like you and me, we are also tempted by greed, aren't we? We're tempted to, to be self-sufficient, we're surrounded by injustice. We probably perpetuate injustice at times, even if we don't understand it all the time. We trust in ourselves. We trust in our own, uh, our own self-sufficiency. That is a normal default setting for humanity, and we're no different, right? So if Israel failed so miserably at this, what hope does the church have, do the followers of Jesus have at doing any better? Is there any hope? I think the answer is yes. I think there's hope. And I'll tell you why. Because I believe the game has changed. The game has changed. Because we are not trying to do this journey to generosity on our own anymore. Because now, thanks to Jesus, we now have the very Spirit of Christ within us. I mean, Jesus' Spirit is right here empowering us, giving us wisdom. God's presence is not just at the temple in Jerusalem like it used to be for Israel. No, it's right here. God's Spirit gives us gifts and wisdom and insight that we could never have on our own. We are not doing this on our own anymore. By the way, this is what we talk, when we talk about discipleship, this is what we mean. Discipleship, being a a disciple of Jesus, being a follower of Jesus. The thing about discipleship is that as time goes on, as we follow Jesus, we start to look more and more like Him. That's what the Spirit does in us, transforms us. And that includes generosity. Because the Holy Spirit is here, I think there's a lot of hope that we can re-engage that positive feedback loop of blessing. There's hope There, we can show the world what's possible in ways that Israel never could because they didn't have the Spirit living within them. You know how I know this? You know why I have so much hope? Because it has already begun, and we can see it beginning in in the words of of Scripture in the New Testament. I want to show you a couple of passages that have fired me up this week. They have fired me up uh, from the book of Acts because we see all of these threads coming to fruition. So grab a Bible, and and just, we're going to look at a couple of passages really briefly in Acts, starting in Acts 2, starting in verse 42 of, of Acts 2, page 907 in the House Bibles. I want to show you what happened in the very early church. Okay, so really briefly, in the storyline of Scripture, Jesus came, Jesus died, He rose again, and He ascended, and then, and then His disciples were all like, okay, what now? And that's when Pentecost happened. And Pentecost was when, uh, was when the, the Holy Spirit came to dwell within the followers of Jesus for the first time. And then, right after Pentecost, literally immediately after that, it says this, verse 42 of chapter 2 of Acts. They worshiped together at the temple each day. They met in homes for the Lord's Supper, and they shared their meals with great joy and generosity, all the while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all the people. And each day, the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. All right, think about what we just read. Think about that. As the believers are are dedicating themselves to the teachings of Jesus, right? As they are going through discipleship, becoming followers of Christ, they are also diving deep into radical generosity, right? Look back at what we just read. They're sharing everything they have. They're selling their stuff to provide for those in need. They're sharing meals so that nobody goes hungry. What we're reading here is the vision of of a generous community come alive, and guess what's happening as a result of it? Guess what's happening? Verse 47, the believers were, quote, enjoying the goodwill of all the people. In other words, the rest of the world was sitting up and taking notice. They wanted some of what these believers had. It is no surprise to me that, that, that each day the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. Of course he did. Because the world around them saw what was going on, saw this community, saw something different, and they wanted to be a part of it. Listen to this a couple chapters later. It goes on because in Acts 4, we see a very similar scene taking place. uh, Verse 32, all the believers were united in heart and mind, and they felt that what they owned was not their own, so they shared everything they had. The apostles testified powerfully to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and get this, God's great blessing was upon them all. There were no needy people among them. Because those who own land or houses would sell them and bring the money to the apostles to give to those in need. I'm telling you, this gets me fired up. When, when I was, was prepping for this sermon series several months ago, and I was thinking about how we would cover the topic of generosity, I knew I knew there would be some common threads or common themes in Scripture that we might be able to turn to. Little did I know that when we came to Acts, I would find every single thread that we've been exploring through this whole series coming to fruition, every single one. I mean, we're talking about uh, the believers, you know, sharing everything they had. We're looking at at generous people worshiping and and growing together. We're seeing the vulnerable being cared for. Verse 33, we're seeing God's blessing being poured out as they share what they have, and, and the world is taking notice. Every single thread is coming to fruition right here. When we read the book of Acts, we are not seeing some dry facts about church history. We are seeing God's vision for his people being realized. We're seeing God's blessing being unleashed on a broken world. And here's what I want you to understand this morning. This is what I want you to hear, okay? Pay attention to this. This same community that we just read about, this community of of radical generosity and open palms, this community being empowered by God's spirit, being blessed by God, enjoying the goodwill of all the people, this same community is the community that you and I are a part of today. It's the same community. We are the church, just like them. If it was possible for them, guess what? It's possible for us. It's possible. Our generosity can show the world that there is another way to live. It's possible. If we trust God enough to actually try it. If we trust him enough to live in that way, it's possible. So let's trust Him. Let's, let's try it out. Let's put this to the test. I mean, when it comes to generosity, let's, Grace Church, let's become the community that God longs for us to be. I mean, just imagine for a second. Imagine if we did. Imagine here in Hamilton County, right? Imagine in this land of consumerism and wealth and and where money drives everything and status. Imagine, just imagine if we started living out Acts 2 right here. Can you imagine what what that would do? If we started living the way that the Bible calls us to live, with open palms, with with, uh, generous hearts, sharing what we have with one another so there is no need among us. Can you imagine? You better believe our neighbors would start asking, what is going on there? They might think we're a little bit crazy, but they're going to want a little bit of what we have, won't they? In this culture, in this time, come on. We would be enjoying the goodwill of all the people. And I know that would be the case because it's already begun. Here at Grace Church, the love and the generosity that's on display at our care center, it opens people's minds and eyes to see what's possible. Our congregation has, has a history of loving and caring for people with special needs, of, of caring for, for widows and widowers, for orphans, for refugees. We have already left an indelible imprint on this community, and people are taking notice, but I think this is only the beginning. What if? What if our posture of generosity, what if we took generosity and started launching it into the stratosphere? What kind of an impact would we make then? Put me to the test, God says. Put me to the test. I will pour out a blessing so great that you won't have enough room to take it in. I want that for Grace Church. I want that blessing for Grace Church because the world is very dark the world is very dark, but we, followers of Christ, we are the light. That's what Jesus told us. So let's shine with generosity. Let's shine with generosity. Let's experience God's blessing being poured out on us and let's just keep giving it away. Let's see if we can outgive God. I bet we can't. I bet we can't. Let's be the people that God dreams for us to be. Let's show our broken world that there is another way to live because you're seeing it in us. That's my dream. What's your dream? I mean, we've spent a lot of time in this series talking about, you know, grand concepts of of God's vision for the church, for his people. And I've talked all month about my vision for grace, but I got to ask you, what is your vision for you? For you? I mean, let's end the series by asking this. When it comes to giving and generosity, who do you want to be? Who do you want to be? We've talked collectively. I want to talk about you. It's all well and good talking about grand visions and whole communities and all that. But at the end of the day, you have to make a decision, right, about how you are going to respond. What, what about your life? What about your money? What about your stuff? Who do you want to be? Uh, as I've said all month, by the way, this has nothing to do with guilt or shame. All right, I'm going to say it again. This has nothing to do with guilt or shame or the idea that you should be giving more. Or you should feel bad for not giving. That, no, no, it's not about that at all. This is about opportunity. This is about opportunity, a chance to experience for yourself God's blessing, to experience the life and the peace and the abundance that comes with living with open palms and having God's presence right with you. My question is, do you want that? For yourself, for your family, do you want that? Do you want to be the kind of person who lives generously? Who 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 gives, maybe even gives sacrificially? Is that what you want for yourself? Do you want to experience God blessing you because you you live with such open palms? Is that your desire? Do you want to be the kind of person who lives every day as if God's gonna come through for you? Right? If that was just your, your default posture, who do you want to be? Uh, several decades after this whole moment in in the book of Acts, the Apostle Paul was writing to the church in Corinth, and he basically asked them the exact same question. Who do you want to be? He said this, remember this, remember this, church in Corinth. A farmer who plants only a few seeds will get a small crop, but the one who plants generously will get a generous crop. You must each decide in your heart how much to give. And don't give reluctantly or in response to pressure, for God loves a person who gives cheerfully. And God will generously provide all you need. Then you will have, always have enough, everything you need and plenty left over to share with others. Everything you need and plenty left over, you know what that sounds like? It sounds like the positive feedback loop of blessing. Paul is saying that you can get on that. You can experience that positive feedback loop. So again, I want to bring it back to you. Do you want that? Who do you want to be? Like I said last week, I mean, look, if you take a risk with this and you try to be more generous, if you try to live with open palms to stop being so self-sufficient and start just trusting and giving, one of two things is going to happen, right? You're going to give some stuff away and then either A, you're going to regret it and wish you hadn't been so generous and you'll be like, what was I thinking? That was really dumb. Or you are going to experience the blessing of God in a way that transforms you, maybe a way that you can't even imagine right now one of those things, you're going to regret it or you are going to be blessed. There is only one way for you to find out for sure which one it is. I can't tell you. You've got to just experience it for yourself. Again, this is, this is between you and God. Like, I'm not even in the picture here. This is between you and God. When it comes to giving and generosity, who do you want to be? And what is your next step in becoming it? What's your next step? So I I guess with that next step concept in mind, I want to leave you with just one one thought, one takeaway for today, is that this concept takes intentionality. It doesn't just happen. It takes intentionality. So my biggest encouragement as, as we wrap up this series, as we head into the Christmas season, is that you would just be intentional with this. If you want to be a person of generosity, if you want to uh, fulfill the vision that God has for his people in your life, be intentional. So here's, here's what that looks like. I think it looks like taking some time today, even this week, to to set some, time, set some time aside and put a stake in the ground. Make some decisions about what you want to do, not just how you want to feel, but what do you want to do in response to all this. For example, if you want to be a generous family, if that's something you desire, that your family would be generous, actually sit down with your kids and have this conversation. Who do you want to be as a family? What is your next step to living with open palms? Here's a few ideas. Maybe, maybe what it looks like is setting up some monthly automatic giving to support a missionary or a, a nonprofit that you care about. Right? Make it regular. Make it automatic. Make it something that's a part of your life, not just episodic, whatever you think about it. Make it a regular thing. Maybe that's your next step. Maybe uh, it means... Being intentional to scale back your lifestyle so you actually have some margin. Maybe leave the edges of your field unharvested so you've got a little bit more to give. Don't use up every single penny that you earn. Work hard to to scale back your lifestyle. Oh, here's one. This is very practical. Some of you work in in jobs where you get an annual bonus at the end of the year. Maybe you don't know what that amount is going to be. You could, this week, you could today decide, set a stake in the ground and say, I am going to give... 10% 10 uh, percent or 20 percent of my annual bonus away. I mean, you haven't earned it, you haven't gotten it yet, so like you could make that decision, and then you spend the next few weeks before you get your bonus just wondering where am I going to give all that money? Make an intentional decision, and then things start to change. Can you be practical like that? And I'm gonna, here. Here's radic- here's a real radical thought. Acts two, it talks about you know people selling their property and selling their possessions to give to those in need. Maybe it's time. For you to do a a little once-over in your apartment or in your house and ask, do I need this? Whatever it is, do I need this? Or do I need two of these things? Do I need, like, do I need this thing? And what might it look like for me to sell it and give the money away? Or even, let's get even more practical. Do I need a subscription to Disney Plus? and also Hulu, and also, uh, uh, what are the other, Apple TV Plus, and also Netflix, which is now for some reason like $47 a month. Do I need all of those? uh, Or is there a way that I might be able to cancel one of them and set that up as an automatic gift somewhere? I don't know. This This is what I'm talking about, about being intentional, being practical. What are the things in front of you that you could do to start living the way that you want to live? Be intentional. And one final thought. One final thing that you might consider as you're putting a stake in the ground. I've said several times this month that I genuinely believe it's important to give to your church, not because we need it, but because you do. It's important to give to your church because you need it. When you give to your church, uh, when you give to grace, what you're doing is you're investing in things that God cares about. You're pooling your resources with, with other Christ followers, just like the early church in Acts, and you're doing the things that we've talked about all month. You're, you're making sure, you're ensuring that the people of God can worship and grow. That's vital. That's so important, keeping this vision moving forward. Uh, you're also caring for the vulnerable. I already mentioned that. We're caring for the vulnerable together. Uh, also, we're celebrating in gratitude. You are funding the thanksgiving of, of the people of God. That's a part of what you're experiencing. And when you, when you share what you have towards that mission, you're also sharing in the blessing that comes in response sharing in god's blessing as we experience the abundance of god's presence and jesus said look where your treasures are there the the desires of your heart will also be so give to your church because you want to see his vision come to reality because you want to see our world transformed because you want to see the people of god set apart if that's where your heart's desire is then give because that will reflect that desire so here's the deal uh, we're coming to the end of our year and just like every november december grace is kicking off our year-end giving campaign every nonprofit does this it's a very generous time of year and so we do it as well uh, this year we're calling our campaign more than enough and you could probably figure out why we would call it that right based on this whole series we're we're uh, trusting god that this year basically from giving tuesday through the end of the year we're trusting that we can raise a fifth fifth of our entire annual budget for 2023. I know that's a little audacious, but but this is what we're trusting God for. Because if we do that, we know that we're going to be able to enter 2023 with a huge burst of momentum. We're going to be able to set the tone for a full year of ministry and life change. And we are going to be able to, to experience that wind at our backs as we continue as a church community. But it won't just be momentum for us. Last year, many of you were here for this, and you remember this, but last year we felt, let's, uh, you know, we care about people with special needs. Let's let's give to a ministry that cares about that as well. One of our partner ministries, Mission to Ukraine. And so we gave, we committed to give 5%, and we did give 5% of our end-of-year giving away directly to Mission to Ukraine. Little did we know that two months later, Mission to Ukraine and, and Ukraine as a whole would be invaded by Russia. And so our money, the money that we collectively pooled and gave to, to, to Mission to Ukraine, was used to actually save lives, literal, literally save lives, and to keep a ministry operating that would continue to offer hope and healing to people in Ukraine. We didn't know that that's how God was going to use it. We just were responding with faith, and, and God took it and ran with it. Amazing. Amazing. Well, this year, because the war in Ukraine is continuing to go on and on, and, and because our brothers and sisters in Christ in Ukraine are facing down a challenging winter ahead of them with energy shortages and all of it, we feel like it's very appropriate as a community. We've, we've determined we're going to give another 5% of our year-end giving away. So we're doing it again. 5% of everything we bring in from Tuesday till the end of the year is going to go directly to Mission to Ukraine. And And... One of the reasons we're doing this, not, because, not just because we, we love what they're doing and we believe in them, but because we want to represent as a community exactly what we dream of for every one of us, that we would be trusting God and giving faithfully to support the things that He cares about. Could we be using that 5% in our own budget? Could we be doing it for our own ministries, our own things? Absolutely we could. Absolutely we could. But we are trusting, we are trusting that God will move in and bless us in ways that we can't imagine if we give faithfully beyond the walls. So that's what we're doing. That's what we're doing. So here's what I want you to do. When it comes to this year-end giving campaign, take some time this week, maybe today, and, and sit down as a family, sit down by yourself, look at your budget, ask your kids what they want to give. I don't know. Be, be very, very specific. Maybe use Giving Tuesday as an excuse look at your, at your, at your money, look at your stuff, and be intentional. Ask the Spirit of Jesus within you what it is that He would have you give. And and if you want info on how to give to grace, how to be a part of this, go to gracechurch.us slash give. There'll be all kinds of information there about our year-end giving campaign. And by the way, I just am so encouraged by this. We're doing this together. We're doing this together. There is a, a small group of very invested givers at Grace Church who, who together have determined that they are going to, going to pledge. They've already pledged to providing $194,000 towards our year-end giving campaign. And they're hoping that by making that pledge, by, by being all in like that, that they're going to challenge you to be a part of it as well, to give as well. So I'm encouraged because we are already well on the way to being able to see God move in powerful ways to set us up well for 2023. All right, I'll leave it there. I just want to tell you again, I'm, I'm encouraged. I'm excited because I genuinely believe that we have an opportunity as a church to shine even more brightly in this dark, dark, broken world. When it comes to our generosity, when it comes to our heart, our posture, I think we can show our friends and neighbors and classmates and coworkers that there is another way to live. And I think it is high time for us to live with open palms, show our broken world what's possible. Let's pray. Well, Father, when I began this series or started thinking about this series, I'll, I'll admit I was a little nervous. I didn't know what to expect. I didn't know if there would be pushback or discomfort or, oh, why are we always talking about money? But God, my heart is completely changed by now. I've seen uh, so much encouraging response to this. I've seen how our community genuinely wants to be uh, an embodiment of your vision for this world. And so, Father, now with a spirit of great joy and great encouragement, I just simply ask that you would uh, keep fanning the flames of our heart for generosity as a church. Would you work with us through your Holy Spirit's power, with us as individuals, with us as a community, to represent and reflect your blessing to this world? And would you give us, Father, the courage that we need to take those intentional steps of faith to live with open palms this week, this month, and for the rest of our lives. We pray all this trusting and believing in the name of Jesus. Amen.